morning, Little Hills. Hello, kingdom people. Uh, how's this going to work here? So I just baptized this chair. Can you believe it? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's now sanctified. There you go. All right. I'll get it together here. Just hang with me. Hang with me. All right. It's a crazy world. Would you agree with that? It's a crazy world. It's a crazy world. But you know what? I'm so glad I'm standing on a rock. When everything else is shaky, you got a rock. And that rock is Jesus Christ. Stand on him and be secure in, in him. As Josh said, we're wrapping up the series, which means fall is coming. Fall, this is the last, ah, oh, this is the last, this is the last service in August, and for the last service in the official summer. Oh, it's very sad. Oh, that just made me depressed. Ah. Oh, well. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get through it. We always do. But it's kind of sad. Uh, that being what it is, we're wrapping up the series, Loose Ends, where we've been looking at all these odd, very strange passages in the Bible. There's quite a few. Uh, the kind of stuff that we just usually confront and just, they just sort of hang there. So we call them loose ends. But we're digging into these things. And we're finding that a lot of times in the passages that are the most challenging, um, you can find some really great truths if you're willing to dig into it and uh, wrestle with it and let its oddness confront you. So this morning we're talking about an odd passage. It's odd because it involves a conflict between two spirit agents. And let me explain to you what I mean by spirit agent. We usually call these beings angels. Uh, in the Old Testament they're usually referred to as gods. But see, the word angel, it, it, it literally means a, a sent one, uh, a, a messenger. And while all angels are spirit entities, not all spirit entities are angels. When Paul talks about the principalities and powers and dominions and authorities and rulers and all those different classifications of spirit entities, he's not talking about angels there. These are just spiritual entities. They've got other job descriptions. Uh, if you understand them in the first century apocalyptic context, which is how we have to understand them, uh, these entities were understood to be over large segments of creation and over society. It's like human beings were entrusted to take care of the earth and the animal kingdom. That's still our first mandate. Um, these, these spiritual entities were given, when trusted with more authority over large segments of the creation and society. So I'm talking about spirit entities or spiritual, spirit agents here this morning. And the passage we're looking at is Daniel 10, and it's odd. Uh, but, but we're going to find here that it's got some good things to teach us about God, about, about relationships, about the complexity of the world, some pretty cool stuff. So... Uh, let's, let's get into it. Oh, and I'm, I'm entitling this message, uh, it's all about say-so. Your say-so, you, your, your ability to influence. You, you have a say in what transpires here on earth. You affect things. It's all about say-so. Okay, so Daniel 10, we'll start with verse 1. In the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. Uh, that was his Persian name. Uh, he's in captivity to Persia at this point. Uh, his real name, his Jewish name is Daniel, however. The word was true, and it concerned a great conflict, a conflict between two spirit entities. He understood the word, having received understanding in the vision. So Daniel, up to this point, this is uh, 537 B.C., and he's been praying and fasting and mourning for three uh, weeks. And finally, he gets this uh, vision uh, this angel shows up in kind of a terrifying, this is an angel because he's delivering a message. An angel shows up in, in kind of a ter terrifying appearance. We always think of these angels as nice little cherubs floating on clouds with diapers. But, but they're, in the Bible, they're, they're pretty awesome beings. Um, 
and I'm not going to go through the description here, but the way that it's described in Daniel 10 is very close to the way Gabriel, who's another spiritual entity, uh, is, it was, is described in two chapters earlier. And so most scholars assume that he's talking about Gabriel here. By the way, there's only two angels or two spirit entities that are, are named in the Bible, and that's Gabriel and Michael. And they, if this is identification is correct, they both show up in this passage. So then um, Daniel freaks out a little bit, then he comes to his senses, and then he gets this message, starting in verse 12. He said to me, don't fear, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I've come because of your words. Your words prompted me to respond. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me 21 days. Now, so Gabriel's a spirit entity, and so the entity that is opposing him is also a spiritual entity, this prince of Persia, apparently a spiritual agent who has authority over the nation of Persia. Uh, he opposed me uh, 21 days, so Michael, one of the chief princes, another spiritual entity, came to help me. And I left him there with the prince of the kingdom of Persia, and have come to help you understand what's going to happen to your people at the end of days. And if you jump down to verse 20, it says, then he said, do you know why I have come to you? Which is odd, because he just told him why he came to him, and I don't know what that question has to do with anything. And I'm not going to explain it, because I can't explain it. Uh, now, I, I must, now I must return to fight the prince of Persia, and when I'm through with him, the prince of Greece is going to come. The prince of Greece is apparently another spiritual entity over, over Greece. <laughs> but I am to tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. In apocalyptic literature like this, Book of Truth just stands for God's plan, what God's plan is. There's no one with me who contends against these princes, the prince of Greece and the prince of Persia, except Michael, your prince. A little strange. So here's Daniel's praying and fasting and mourning for 21 days. Finally, he gets this vision, encounter with Gabriel, and he's told, Gabriel, look at from the, from the day you first started to humble yourself and seek for understanding, uh, we, God heard your prayers, and I was dispatched to deliver this message, but this prince of Persia intercepted me, and I got detained for 21 days, so God had to call over Michael, this other archangel, this spiritual entity, uh, to help me fight this prince of, of Persia, so I could come and give you this message, and I'd love to stay in chat, but I got to go back, because the prince of Greece is joining in the bruja. And, and, and that's the end of the story. We're not even told how that battle went. For all I know, they're still battling over there. I mean, it's just, so it's kind of a strange passage. Uh, it raises a lot of questions. Here's a few of the questions that I'm going to try to address in this message. Uh, why did God send Gabriel instead of answering Daniel's prayer on his own? Come on. God is all-powerful. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Uh, why doesn't he just reveal this to Daniel? Um, why, why go through an intermediary like Gabriel, especially since Gabriel is vulnerable to being intercepted and having the plan delayed? What's up with that? Uh, here's another question. How could the prince of Persia delay this message getting to Daniel for 21 days? And even more fundamentally, why didn't God just prevent the prince of Persia from interfering in the first place? God's omnipotent, all-powerful, right? And usually that's taken to assume that he can do anything he wants at any time. So why not just... Tell the prince of Persia to stop or make him stop. Well, there's a million things you think I could do. Why not, make, why not make Gabriel stronger? Just wave your omnipotent wand and, and he gets stronger so we can beat up the prince of Persia, however spiritual warfare works, who knows. But, uh, or, or make the prince of Persia weak. Uh, why, does this, why is this allowed to, to transpire? 
Uh, here's another question. Why didn't God call Michael over sooner? Why wait 21 days? And what was Michael doing before he got assigned to help Gabriel? Inquiring minds want to know. Uh, I, I'm going to come back to these questions at the end of this message, and I'm going to try to answer them. Um, but I first want us to see this. All of those questions presuppose that for God to be omnipotent means that God can do anything at any time. And I think most Christians do assume that. But if you assume that God can do anything at any time, you're going to have a hard time answering questions like those. Uh, the, the assumption that God can do anything at any time makes everything else feel like it's a kind of a game. Okay, God could call an ace card anytime he wants. He's just like, I, I, it's, it's like nothing depends on it. It doesn't feel real. So you're going to have a hard time answering those kind of questions if you hold that God can do anything at any time. You're also going to have to accept, if you hold this assumption, and I think most Christians do, though I don't think they think it through necessarily consistently, but you're going to have to accept that everything that happens is God's will. If God can do, including all the truly terrible, awful nightmare stuff, because if God can do anything at any time, then he could stop the truly awful, terrible nightmare stuff from happening. But truly awful, terrible nightmare stuff still happens, so God must not want to stop it, which means that God must want it. And now you've just implicated God in all of the truly terrible, awful, nasty nightmare things that have ever happened in history. Now, since we know that God is all good all the time, and, and he, he looks like Jesus Christ, and he's always on the side of life, and he's not the killer who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Since we know that, Maybe it's time to reconsider this assumption that God can do anything at any time. I'm just saying. Now, I want to be clear before you take out the wood and start the fire to burn the heretic. I want to, I want, I want to be clear that I believe God is all-powerful. I believe God is omnipotent. But I don't think that entails that God can do anything at any time. Not because God lacks the power to do anything anytime, but it rather has to do with the kind of God that God is and the kind of world that God created. And it puts some constraints on what God can and cannot do at any given time. Um, now, I'm going to warn you, um, as maybe is already clear, this is one of those messages that's a little bit heady. So get the neurons popping. Uh, lean into this. But it's got some really important practical applications. It's not just heady. So it's the kind of message that I love to give and Mary hates to hear. So uh, it's, it's some people's cup of tea, not, not, not others. Although she has said she like this one. So... I'm going to get to those questions, but I'm, I'm now going to lay a framework in which we can begin to understand the questions. I'm, I'm going to kind of lay the groundwork for this. And I'm going to do it by, by just talking about three truths uh, that I think are self-evident. Uh, whether they are to you, I don't know. But three truths, and then we'll answer the questions. Here's, here's truth number one. Love is a relationship, duh. Love is a relationship. Now, the Bible says that God is love. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. The kind of love that's revealed on the cross. Um, that's the essence of who God is. God is love. Uh, love isn't just the, a verb that God does. Love is a noun that God eternally is. Love is God's essence. But if love is a relationship, then it means that God is, is a relationship. God is an eternal, perfect, loving relationship. Uh, this is what the Bible reveals to be the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, what we call the Trinity. And there's a lot of mystery around the doctrine of the Trinity, but here's the thing that's beautiful about it. Uh, it is the only conception of God in history that allows you to believe coherently that, that, that God is love. 
God is love in God's own being, apart from the world. See, and the reason is because love implies two persons. It implies that there's an I and a thou. And only the Christian conception of God as being an interpersonal relationship has God's very essence being an I and a thou. In Islam or in Judaism or in any other form of strict monotheism, uh, there's no one for God to love apart from the world. So prior to the creation of the world, you could say that God is potentially loving, but you couldn't say that God is actual love. And you could say that, God, that love is a verb that God does after he creates the world, but you can't say that love is the noun that God eternally is. Uh, it, it's, it's only the biblical revelation of God as, as a three-person God. It's, it's in some sense a, a loving community. It's the only conception where you can say that ultimate reality, the final real thing, God is love. Because God is this eternal relationship. And according to Scripture, God created the world out of the fullness of this love for the purpose of inviting others in on this love, to have them uh, replicate that love uh, 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 toward, towards God and towards one another. And so all the creations for the glory of God. And what that means is it just puts God's love on display. He creates out of love for the purpose of inviting others in to participate in this love. So God wants a relationship with us. Here's the truth number two. Relationships are mutually, if they're real relationships... They're mutually influential. Both parties influence one another. So I love my wife. We've been married for 39 years as of last week. And um, uh, what that means is then that I am open to her influencing me, and she's open to me influencing her. What it means is that I have say-so into her life. I make a difference in her life. I I impact her life, and she has say-so in my life. She influences me. She impacts me. Uh, in our relationship, and this is true of any loving relationship, who she is and what she thinks and what she does is important to me because she's important to me. And, and it, therefore, it impacts me. Uh, it makes a difference. And, and the same is true on her in, in, in relationship to me. If, if there's a relationship where only one person has the say-so, then that's not really a relationship. That's a monopoly. Where one person has all the say-so, but the other person has, has none. If, if in my marriage I had all the say-so, all the impact on Shelly, but nothing that Shelly ever did impacted me, well, then I'm not really even relating to her. I'm monopolizing her. And a monopoly is not a relationship. What it means to be a person is, is that you have say-so. You, you, you have significance. You make a difference. But if you're in a monopoly relationship, which is a pseudo-relationship, you as a person aren't really there. Because you're not allowed to have any say-so. You don't have any impact. You don't, the other person doesn't find you significant at all. And, and that just means it's not a real relationship at all. It's certainly not a loving relationship. And if you've ever been in one of these kind of relationships, pseudo-relationships, ever known, had a friend who was a control freak, or a girlfriend who was a control freak, or a husband who was a control freak, then you know how, how unfun that is and how unhealthy that is. And how unloving that is. Um, if you're in a relationship like that for too long, it can beat the personhood right out of you. Because it beats the say-so right out of you. You're being bulldozed over every day. You're being personalized every, every day. And it's damaging. I've known uh, a number of women who have come out of abusive relationships or controlling relationships. And, and, and it varies depending on how long they were in the relationship. But what, what you find in common is if they're in a relationship for very long at all, 
they, they, they have lost their say-so. They have trouble standing up for themselves. They can have trouble really voicing their opinion on things. They have trouble making decisions about things. Uh, they have trouble feeling any kind of self-confidence. Uh, they feel very dependent and needy, and they don't think they can do life on their own. It's because their personhood got smothered in that monopolizing relationship. So if you're in something like that, a relationship where you're supposed to find everything about them to be significant and impactful, but they don't find anything about you to be significant or impactful. If you're in a relationship like that, I encourage you to dig way down and find that lost say-so and say something like, this relationship's got to change now or end. Uh, and if you need help doing that, and if you've been in the relationship for very long, you're going to need help doing that, uh, then by all means, get it. Uh, but don't stay in a relationship where you are being bulldozed over. So real relationships are always mutually uh, influential, which leads to the third truth, and that is that our, this all applies to our relationship with God. Our relationship with God is mutually influential. See, if God wants a real relationship with us, we have to be part of the equation. Uh, we have to have some say-so in this. God can't monopolize us. If God is just monopolizing us in this relationship, then it's not a real relationship. He's just really controlling us. Uh, we bring nothing to the table. God can't monopolize us. Not because he doesn't have the power to. Of course he's got the power to. It's not a question of power. It's a question of, of what kind of God is God and what kind of world did he create and what's he after here. And if he wants a real relationship with us, we have to have some say-so in the relationship. In other words, we have to make a difference. We have to matter to God. We have to be significant to God. We have to bring something to the table for it to be a real, real, real relationship. And the most fundamental aspect of our say-so that God gives us so that we can have this real relationship is that we can say yes or no to the relationship. Uh, a, a, a relationship that's not chosen is a relationship that can't possibly be loving. Uh, and, and, and so it's got to be chosen. Love has to be chosen. And this, is, this holds true for spirit agents as well as for human beings, so far as we can tell from Scripture. Throughout Scripture, you find that spirit agents, as well as human beings, sometimes say no to God. All the fallen angels are the result of them saying no thanks, and they go their own way. Throughout the biblical record, we find that, that both people and spirit agents make decisions that impact God and impact what comes to pass. In fact, we find that both human beings and spirit agents have the ability, because they can say no, they have the ability to use their say-so in ways that will thwart the will of God, at least in the short run. And Daniel 10 is a, a, a case in point on this. God's will was to answer this prayer right away. But this prince of Persia, who obviously is a being who said no, uh, and I decided to throw his hat in with the, the mutiny that was headed up by Satan, um, uh, he uses his say-so now at cross-purposes with God to delay the answer to this prayer for 21 days, thwarting God's will there for, for, for 21 days. The bottom line is that in a creation where God has invested say-so into other agents, that's a creation where God can't guarantee that all of his plans are going to be carried out the way he'd like them to be carried out. In a world where God's invested say-so into, with other agents, uh, that's, that, that's a world where... where there's, there's a risk element involved. It's a world where God can't just do anything anytime that God wants to. So God created this world for the purpose of inviting others in on this love relationship, and that requires that they have say-so, which requires God not to monopolize things. So that, that, that's the foundation here. That love is a relationship. Real relationships are mutually influential. And a relationship with God is mutually influential. So now let's go back to the questions. 
and see if we can answer some of those. Uh, each question or each set of questions we'll find has got a, kind of a little lesson to teach us. The first question is going to tell us a little bit about how significant our say-so is. The question is, why did God send Gabriel instead of answering Daniel's prayer on his own? Well, look, God is inherently relational, and everything God does, he does out of relationship. Even when God acts on, on his own, he does it in relationship because he's a triune God. So in a strict sense, God never does anything alone. Uh, alone. Relationality is built into his nature. That, that's who God is. And so since the, the purpose of creation is to replicate that love uh, of God as, in, as we love God and as we love one another, uh, God, in the biblical record, never does anything by himself. He always does it in partnership with others. It's, 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 it's his nature. And so we see here in Daniel 10 that God could have answered this prayer on his own. He could do that. Um, but it's more consistent with his nature that he wants to do it in partnership with Gabriel. As Gabriel freely uses his say-so, brings it into alignment with God. And, and now uh, he, he does this out of partnership. But there's a risk involved in that, namely that, that Gabriel might get, get detained. That's also why he calls Michael over. He doesn't even rescue uh, Gabriel on his own. He wants to use Michael to do that. He does it all out of relationship. It's no different than this. Look, at, why am I up here teaching you? Why doesn't God just do it? I mean, God could come down here and, and teach every Sunday morning, and it would probably be a better teaching, I'm thinking. Um, but see, that, that's, that, that's not how God does things. God is more consistent with his nature that God he wants a message to be delivered, but he wants me to choose to use my say-so, to bring it into alignment with his say-so, with his will, to carry out his will on earth as it is in heaven. That's how it always is. Now, look, if, if, when it, when, it, when it's time to create a new human being, God could just zap someone into existence, right? He goes, poof, oh, there's another, another person. Oh, look at that person. He, he could just zap him, do it himself. But that's not how he does it. He, does, he uses a much more creative means. <laughs> uh, and so he wants to work through the say-so of a man and a woman coming together, and, and hopefully they love one another, and ideally they're a husband and wife. And out of that, then, God creates the new human being. God still does the creating, but he does it in partnership with humans. And I'm kind of glad that he does it that way. I'm just saying. Or it's that, it's that way with, 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 with anything. Uh, when, when there's some people who need help because they had a flood or a fire or a hurricane hit or whatever, God could conceivably just all by himself monopolize all the power, come down there and rescue them himself. But that's not how he does it. He, he, he works through people who have hearts that are aligned with him, who want to help people, and they bring their say-so, their influence, their time, their resources, their talents, whatever. They bring that into alignment with God's will to help these other people. God's still doing it, but he does it through mediaries because he's a relational God who does everything out of relationship. It, it's kind of like that. I'm sure everybody here has heard this joke too many times, but, but it, it has a point here this morning. Uh, you know, there's a story about the guy who's in a hurricane, and he's on his roof, and all around him is water, and the water's rising. You know the story. And so, so a guy on, on, on the shore says, hey, I got a rope. Here, grab the rope, and I'll, I'll, I'll haul you to shore. And he goes, oh, no. He's a guy's a Christian. I'm trusting Jesus. Uh, and then a boat comes by with some people that say, you've got room for one more. Don't drown. Just jump in the boat. He goes, oh, no, I'm trusting Jesus. And then a helicopter comes by just as the water's hitting the very top of the house. And the guy, kind of helicopter says, hey, buddy, grab the rope, and I'll pull you up, and, and you can be saved. He goes, oh, no, I'm trusting Jesus. Well, the water keeps on rising, sweeps him away, and he drowns. He comes up to the pearly gates and goes, Jesus, why didn't you save me? And Jesus says, what are you talking about, dude? I said, I threw you a rope. I sent you a boat and a helicopter. And he kept saying no to me. So he deserved to drown. <laughs> the point is a relational God does things out of relationships. He does it in partnership with, 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 with others. And see, 
the significance of that is this. God wants us, and actually he's structured the world such that he needs us to choose to use our say-so, uh, bring it under his lordship, and, and thereby carry out his will on earth as it is in heaven. Paul goes so far as to say in 1 Corinthians 3 that, that we are God's co-workers. We're in God's service as co-workers. He uses this word synergeo. Synergeo. We get the word synergy from it. It, it comes from the prefix syn, S-Y-N, which means alongside of, like synonymous or syn synchronicity. And, and the, the word ergos, which literally means energy, to expend energy, to work. So God's plan here is for us to bring our energy, our time, our talents, our resources, and now to come alongside of God, sin or gale, and work with God to bring about his will on earth as it is in heaven. We're God's co-workers. And that means that, 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 what it means is that you are important. You really matter. You really, really matter. You've got unsurpassable worth for free. Nothing you do is going to increase that or detract from that. Jesus died for you even if you're just a couch potato your whole life. Okay, so you have inherent worth. But on top of that, God has invested your life with significance. Uh, you, you make a difference. The choices you make make a difference. You impact people. And, and, and God's calling us to take that difference that we can make and to bring it in line with him and to submit it to him to carry out his will on earth as it is in heaven. You really matter to God. You're significant. You may think that you're not significant, but you are. Maybe by world standards, you know, you don't have a whole lot of influence, you don't have a whole lot of talent, you don't have a whole lot of whatever. But it's structured such that every decision you make has a ripple effect. It impacts people. You know, on, on, on Friday, we had a funeral for a dear saint. She's been a part of this church from the very beginning, Dolores. Just a lovely lady. She'd come up after service all the time, and, and, and she's always had an encouraging word. And, um, and you know, she... You wouldn't think that she's going to be on some tabloid paper or, you know, famous or, you know, she's just an ordinary woman. But as we're at this funeral, you get to talking to people, and, and in little ways, she touched so many lives. Uh, in one case, saved a kid's life uh, by welcoming a family in, showing hospitality to them. And just these acts of kindness, and it just made these huge differences. This one guy, he would have been, he would have committed suicide. Instead, he's a, he's a, a worship leader at a church now because of Dolores. Uh, you may think you're little, but you are important to God. And in fact, things hang in the balance. If what you do is significant, then you're not doing it is also significant. And so the truth is that there's a lot of things that God would like to do that aren't going to get done unless God's people rise up and say, I will take my influence, my time, my talents, my resources, and bring it in line with God to, to get this need met, to get this thing done, to further the kingdom. I mean, there's a lot of people who need to be fed and a lot of people who could really use some housing. And, and God wants to feed them and wants to provide housing. But it won't happen unless the people of God say, I'm willing to stand up, to take a swing, to be counted. I'll donate. I'll donate my time, resources, whatever. Otherwise, they really won't get fed. This isn't a charade. This isn't a, a, a pro forma deal. This is reality. Things depend on this. The teenager may be on your block who's scared because she's pregnant and, and she's thinking about having abortion and God would really like her not to have that for her and for the baby. And, and it, could be, it could be that God's calling you to step up. And what this lady needs is to have someone come alongside of her and to say, look, even if your parents aren't going to uh, help you, I, I, I'll walk with you on this. I'll support you on this. I, I'll help raise the baby if you want to uh, keep the baby. I'll help you put up for adoption if you want to put up for, uh, for adoption. But, but I, I'm in here with you. 
And that could make all the difference in the world, but it won't happen unless the person being called to do that says yes to it. And we have the power to say no. But see, if our actions are, make a positive difference, our lack of action makes a negative difference. There's a bunch of kids who need school supplies, and, and, and God wants to give them school supplies. And this is what we've been doing the last couple of weeks. Uh, but it won't happen unless the people of God say, okay, I will use my say-so in line with God's say-so to help provide uh, packages and supplies for these kids. Uh, it could be on your block there's an undocumented immigrant family who's feeling very alienated, okay, very lost, and they're looked at with suspicious eyes. But God would love them to be welcomed and feel at home and feel loved on. And that's the command that we find throughout all Scripture. I don't care what your policy of thinking is. We're called to love every stranger we come in contact with. So God wants them to be welcomed, but they won't, be feel, they won't feel welcomed unless the person who's called to do that is willing to say, yes, I, 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 I'll be counted. God's calling us to do some wonderful things. Everything we're doing around here, it's because people are, have said, okay, I'm, I'm in. I'm signing up. I'll, I'll, I'll volunteer for that. I'll donate money to that. I'll be part of that. And it wouldn't happen without that. So this is what gives our life such great significance, but also such great responsibility. God really depends on us stepping up. So here's the second question. And if, if we get this question, uh, we'll understand why it is that God can't do anything that God wants at, at any time. Uh, why did, uh, uh, how could the Prince of Persia delay his message getting to Daniel for 21 days? And why didn't God just prevent the Prince of Persia from interfering in the first place? Good question, Greg. What's the answer? Well, look at When God gave the prince of Persia, um, or the spirit entity that became the prince of Persia, when God gave that agent say-so, God did it with the hope that this agent would use his say-so in line with God's will. So that in partnership with the, the prince of Persia, he could carry out his will on earth as it is in heaven. It's really clear that the prince of Persia is one of those entities that said no joined the rebellion, and now is working at cross-purposes with, with, with God. And the thing is that God can't just pretend that that didn't happen. Uh, God can't just revoke his ability to say no because God doesn't like it by preventing him to, uh, from interfering. If that was within the domain of things that this agent could do, sorry about that, I'm just getting so excited. If that was within the domain of things that the agent could do, God has to let that be played out because God gave this agent the ability to say yes or no, to use his power and his resources in line with God's will or against God's will. If God were to revoke his ability to go against his will, well, then God didn't give him the ability to say yes or no to God's will. So it's, it's like this. You know, when I was in grad school, I, I did every disgusting job I could find as long as I paid. I, I was willing to do anything. I had uh, two kids to support, going to school full-time, Juggling a lot of balls, and man, I would never want to go through that period of time again. But uh, I, I had to do it. And so uh, one of the jobs I took was this pool cleaning co company at Princeton. And it was a disgusting job. You have no idea. Oh, I can't imagine what you find in pools after they've been closed up for all winter. Uh, we would find squirrels and rabbits. One time we found a deer. It, it, how does a deer <sighs> fall into a pool? that uh, was covered. I don't know how that... And I have a weak stomach to start with. Uh, so, uh, now I'm getting a visual of it. Uh, but trying to drag that thing out. Dry heaves and stuff. It was a disgusting job, but it paid well. So I did it. I'm not above anything. Well, I'm above a few things. But so, so, so here's the thing. One day after this long day of working on Saturday... 
put a 10-hour day, come back to the office, wrapping everything up. And the boss comes to me and says, uh, hey, Greg, um, no pressure on this. Feel free to say no. But I have another call that came in that's got to be taken care of tonight. It's a longtime customer, and we need to clean their pool tonight. Uh, could you stay another couple hours to clean this pool with DeVito, uh, who's already agreed to do this? Um, now, I, he knew that I usually take overtime whenever I can because I need the money. But in this case, I was really tired, and Shelly's been all day with the kids, and I'm thinking she's probably going nuts by now. And plus, I don't like to work with DeVito because he's a lazy lard. Guy, would, he, he was a late, uh, really, it was, man, he, he drove me crazy. So I said, you know, no thanks. Um, thanks for the offer, but, but no thanks. He goes, well, we really need this to get done tonight. I go, yeah, I got that. Um, but uh, I'm going to get back to my wife because she's probably going crazy right around now. And he says, well, uh, this pool's got to be clean tonight. And I said, well, you can go ahead and give it to somebody else. And he goes, well, everyone else has already declined and gone home. I need you to clean this pool. What happened to this no pressure? <laughs> you can say no if you want to. You know, I asked him, I go, what about, he said I, I could say no. He goes, well, you can say no, you just can't go home. <laughs> I was like, so he did, it looked like he gave me the ability to say yes or no, but he really didn't. If you revoke the ability to say no, then you never gave the ability to say yes or no. And see, once you understand that, you understand why God, given the kind of world that he created, given the kind of God that he is, why God just can't do anything anytime he wants. Uh, it, when, when the prince of Persia decides to rebel against God um, and use his authority at cross purposes with God, God has to now work around that. That's why, by the way, in the Bible, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but God's wisdom is held up as, 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 at least as frequently as God's power when it comes to running the world and stuff. God's wisdom. And you only need wisdom if you have to problem solve. And you only have to problem solve if there's genuine problems you have to get around. Uh, and, and, and so now you can understand why God has to use his wisdom. If he controlled everything, you wouldn't need any wisdom with that. If he, controlled, if he monopolized everything, it would be like me wiggling my finger. I don't need a lot of wisdom to wiggle my finger. i got power over it. Of course I can do that. So that would require no wisdom. But if you create a creation that, that where you've given say-so to agents because you want a real relationship with them, and relationships have to be mutually influential, if you're going to create that kind of a world, well, now you've got a world where you're going to need wisdom, and you have to work around problems because you just can't revoke the, the say-so that you gave these agents. Otherwise, you didn't give them say-so. Uh, and since God's relational, he uses other partners when he works around problems. And so that's why God is now using Gabriel and then uses Michael to work around this problem posed by the, the prince of Persia. So that's why God can't just do anything anytime he wants, which comes to the third set of questions. And this one will teach us a little bit about the complexity of the world, which is, I think, a very important thing to remember. So the question is, why didn't God call Michael over sooner? Why wait 21 days? And what was Michael doing before he got assigned to help Gabriel? And the answer is, I don't have a clue. And you don't either. Uh, see, here's the thing. We only know about uh, the, why there was a 21-day delay in this message getting through to Daniel. We only know that because we got a little peekaboo behind the, the scenes to see what's going on in the, in the invisible realm. If we hadn't been given that peekaboo, we would have no clue why it took 21 days. Well, we're given a clue as to the 21 days, but we're not giving any clue as to any peekaboo about, about why Michael uh, was, was detained 21 days or what Michael was doing before he was called over here. But we do know the kinds of things that these entities do. Um, according to God's design, some of them have rebelled now and are working at cross purposes with God. But the ones who are in line with God, their job is to, Psalms 82 talks about this, uh, is, is to care for the needy, to, to be an influence of good in whatever region they're assigned. 
uh, to, it says in Psalm 72, care for the orphan and for the widow and stand for justice. Um, so whatever Michael was doing, it was a positive influence in this world. And just as it's true with us, if our, if our, if our activity has a positive effect, then when we stop that activity, it's going to have a negative effect. You can't, you can't have it any other way. So let's say, for example, work with me here. Uh, Michael was in charge of Tel Aviv. Uh, so he, he was over that city. And he's, he's doing a good job. He, he's, all, you know, just exerting a kind of influence, a uh, positive influence there. So there's very little conflict going on in Tel Aviv. People are getting along with each other. Uh, they're relatively healthy. Um, uh, the needy are being cared for. Uh, you know, the justice is, is going good. The crime rate's down. Things are hunky-dory. But then after 20 days, God sees that, that, that Gabriel's having a tough time with this prince of Persia. He's not going to get free. And so... As much as he hates to do it, he has to reassign Michael. So he calls Michael over here and says, you've got to help out Gabriel uh, to deliver this message. Well, now this town doesn't have that positive influence. And so now perhaps the crime rate starts to go up and people start to fight with one another and, and, and the needy aren't being cared for and injustice is starting to run rampant. It just it goes south. And the people, they don't know what's going on here. Uh, probably some of them are going to blame the mayor and others blame the governor and some say, oh, it's the whole Roman system and, and, and uh, others will say, well, it's the police force or it's the liberals or it's the Democrats or it's the communists or the conspiracy. And, and the Pharisees are going to be saying, well, it's the ta tax collectors and the prostitutes because God's judging us because we're not cracking down on them or something like that. And they'd all be wrong, completely wrong. And they couldn't imagine what the real reason is. Because the real reason, it's taking place over 6,000 miles away in the spiritual realm that nobody knows about. And all this just goes to show why we can't know why anything happens the way it does. Uh, it, it, it's, the world's just too complex for, for, for that. Now, yeah, if you see a drunk driver hit a, a, a pedestrian, you can say, okay, I know why the pedestrian was hit, because the driver was drunk. And that is important in a court of law, but you haven't really begun to answer the question like, why was this guy drinking so much? What went on that, that, that he's got a, that he developed this, this drinking problem? And why is he still driving after four DUIs? Uh, what's wrong with our, our, our court system? Some judge bears some responsibility here. And why was this pedestrian walking where they were walking, when they were walking? Uh, what's the explanation for that? And to, and to answer those questions, you'd have to know every decision that they made that day, the day before that, the day before that, and every decision that ever impacted them that day or the day before that, going back to the beginning of time. And everything's connected to everything else, so, so a little decision in 1307 can make a huge difference in 2018, but we can never track the line of influences from 2018 back to 1307. And so, ultimately, everything that comes to pass is the end, it's, it's just the end result of God and, and good and evil humans and good and evil spirit agents making, using their say-so and causing ripple effects. And it all converges, and what happens as a result of all that but we know next to nothing about any of that. And so everything's going to be a mystery. But it's important to know why everything's a mystery. And it's not because God is, 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 is opaque, that, that God is mysterious. Like, I mean, there's a lot of mystery around God, for sure, but not his character. He is a good communicator, and he reveals himself to us in Jesus Christ fully and completely. That's what God's will looks like, and that's what God's character looks like. Uh, among all the things we don't know, we do know this, and it's all we need, and that is that God looks like Jesus Christ. If you see me, you see the Father. And so as I said a couple weeks ago, we, we, we live in this fog of war. It's a war-torn creation. It's virtually infinitely complex. We can't begin to understand it. 
But what's all important is that as we're in this ambiguous war zone, that we know what is from God and what's not from God. And, and, and we, 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 we can identify uh, stuff that's consistent with the kingdom and stuff that's not consistent with the kingdom. You've got to be able to tell enemy fire from friendly fire. Uh, to even know whose side you're on. And so whenever good stuff comes, whenever anything happens to us that is consistent with the character of God as revealed in Jesus, we should give God praise for that because every good gift comes from the Father above. But when we see the nasty, the truly awful, terrible, nightmare stuff, we have to know that's this an enemy has done. This comes from wills other than God. And maybe we can trace one or two of the wills that brought this about, or maybe we can't at all, but it goes back to the beginning of time, and ultimately we can't know... You can't, why did this kid, kid get healed and that kid died? Why, why do I have cancer? How come this person has this rash that causes them to itch so much? Why was my child born with one eye that didn't work? Why, 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 why? You can't answer those questions. Can't, let it go. But you can't, the reason you can't answer it isn't because you don't know God. As though God was monopolizing the power. As though God could do anything anytime he wants. No. You know God. He's revealed in Jesus Christ. What you don't know is anything else. So keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. So the takeaways from this this morning, you guys, as we dug into this odd passage, is number one, God's re- God is a relationship, and the world is structured as this relationship. So make sure that in all your relationships, they're mutually influential. Never monopolize another, because God doesn't monopolize you, and never be monopolized by another. If you're in a relationship that's a monopoly, it's not a relationship. Grab onto whatever says you got left in you and say, this relationship changes or I'm out of here because I'm a person and this relationship isn't treating me like a person. Secondly, you matter. Lock this in. You really do matter. Things hang in the balance on what you do with your say-so. Like, Dor- like, 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 like Dolores, can we bring our say-so in line with God's say-so and look for every opportunity that we have to make a difference in this world to further the kingdom? And third, give up on the question why. Just let it go. It's a waste of neurological activity. But know why you can't know why. And, and it's not because you don't know God. You know, God's the one thing you do know. Grab onto him. Keep your eyes fixed on him. As we bring our wills in line with God's will to carry out his will on earth as it is in heaven. That is our assignment as kingdom ambassadors. Amen? Amen. Would you stand? I'd like to ask the prayer teams to come up here. And if you're here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, uh, you know, prayer is like a magnifying glass to our, our say-so. Prayer sends huge ripple effects uh, for the kingdom out in this world. So come up here and let these folks use their God-given say-so to, to minister to you. And if you're here this morning and you're not a surrendered follower of Jesus, uh, you're still having the say-so in your own life, calling the shots your way. But if there's something that's telling you that you really ought to look into this, I encourage you to listen to that voice. Come up here and talk to these folks, and they'd love to explain to you what it is to become a follower of Jesus. So kingdom people, as we leave here, can we do it with a commitment to bring our domain of influence, our resources, our time, our talent in line with God's will to carry out his will on earth as it is in heaven. If you're in agreement with that, say amen and go out and love your neighbors. God bless you guys.